All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 110. So this is kind of a funny one. We were just joking about this. It looks like thanks to our friends in basketball, we have been, they've delayed the show until our show has started. So we're going to keep you updated about what's going on in the CFP. Love to hear from you. This is Tuesday night. It's when we enjoy listening to all of you. My name is Bob Akairi. I'm going to be joined by my regular co-host, J.D. Moore and Sirius. So again, um, if there's anything you'd like to talk about in college football, we'd love to hear from you. I think we're all curious to see the rankings. They're coming out right now. We've got it in a window on my computer, I'm sure. JD, too. Hey, JD, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. I am delighted to be on the show today. It's going to be a fun weekend of college football coming up. Obviously, we've got new rankings coming in at any moment now, uh, but very, very excited about the change in weather down here in Texas. Uh, just got to have a wonderful long run in some nice cold weather. It's perfect football weather out here. And very, very excited to talk with all of y'all about all the developments that are happening as we head into week 12 of the college football season. I'm just going to vent for a second. I, um, I am suffering from what seems to be a flu, so I apologize if I'm not as lively as usual. Oh, hey, so number 25 is Cincy. Number 24 is North Carolina State. 23, Oregon State, which has moved up from being unranked. Oklahoma State at 22, also moving up from being unranked. And Tulane, which lost last week, has unfortunately dropped four spots to number 21. So those are the first five that they have revealed so far. And I could see my co-host Sirius is also here too, as we kind of get everyone up here. But yeah, no, I, I had to go to a fall wedding, which has been bitter for me. And then what my prize for going to a fall wedding and missing Saturday was getting uh, what feels like flu. So eh, it is what it is. But anyways, so let's see here. You know, and I should also say NC State has dropped eight spots. We're still waiting on the next five. Again, if you have thoughts on any of this, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, Sirius. Oh, actually, Sirius, one second. We also have UCF has jumped up two spots, of course, after beating Tulane in that big game. Florida State's at 19, having moved up four spots. Notre Dame is 18, having moved up two spots. And Washington is 17, having moved up eight spots. UCLA, which had that rather unexpected loss to Arizona, has dropped four spots to number 16, which takes a little bit of the shine off of what was still going to be one of the most exciting cross-down showdowns between USC and UCLA, which is going to be in the Rose Bowl this year. So they announced they've sold it out. It sounds like they're keeping some of those tarps up. So it's a 70,000-seat sellout. Those who are a bit more familiar with the Rose Bowl know that it is certainly something that... Uh... Oh, hey, so rank number 15 they just announced. It's Kansas State. It's moved up four. Ole Miss... 14 has moved down three. North Carolina, 13 has moved up two. Oregon at number 12, it's moved down six after that loss to Washington. Penn State moved up to number 11. Look at that. So moved up three. <laughs> Serious, how you doing? Good, man. Just uh, watching the, the playoff rankings roll in. Same as you, it sounds like. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of funny that they this all delayed to the point where we're starting our show. And I know they're kind of in a hurry to get these moving uh, because, you know, they have another hoops game and they're warming up, I assume, on the court right now because they're back-to-back. Um, and I know one of, our, one of our folks is really excited about the upcoming game. But um, let's see here. Hey, you know what? Um, I see you've got at least a couple callers up here. Luke, what's up? And get up here. Just unmute. We'd love to hear from you. 
What's going on, guys? Uh, love, love this, love this Twitter space. Um, I first of all want to ask Sirius how he's feeling. I think he's a Vandy fan, if I'm not mistaken, and they beat Ken- <laughs> they beat Kentucky at you know on the road at Kentucky. I wanted to get his thoughts on that, and then I had another another question to ask after that. Yeah, I mean, well, number ten, Utah. Just came out. They uh, moved up three spots, but yeah, the Vandy thing was was awesome. Um, great to see for for Clark Lee that uh, you know an achievement for him. There's a lot of excitement about what he's trying to build there, but obviously, um, it's been a tough road. Uh, this was really kind of the true first year um, because of all the ground that he had to make up last year, um, just in terms of, of rebuilding that roster and installing his own mentality for the program. There were some issues with an assistant coach the week before who got suspended and is pretty much fired at this point. Um, so it was exciting to see that as the first win uh, in conference play in like three years. It was the first road win over a ranked opponent in like 13 years or something or 15 years, something stupid. Um, so exciting to see, uh, of course, it you know it had had to happen to Kentucky. Um, those fans have been through a lot too. So I kind of I feel sorry for him a little bit, but it's really nice to see uh, Vandy go out and actually finally get a win um, in conference play. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, you know, I remember during the season their uh, over under win total was two point five, and I was like, you know, this guy, this this new coach, he seems like he knows what he's doing. Um, they had three non-conference games that were really kind of small schools. Like, they didn't think, like, they were really – you really think they could beat a new coach that knows what he's doing in the SEC? So, I uh, I was looking for that to get that – they would at least get that three wins. And then to get that conference win, um, man, that's just really cool for them. You know, four wins, they, they over-exceed what they were projected to do. Um. If you want to make a comment, and then I can ask my other question. Well, I just wanted to insert real quick. We had a couple of more rankings pop up in that conversation. Clemson is now at number nine. It went up one. Alabama is number eight, also up one. They're now doing their trademark filler before they announce the top seven because they want to keep you watching. And who knows? I'm sure we'll get some ads before they actually get to the top seven. But what was your – I know you had something else you wanted to ask, Luke. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like you guys, man. You talk about everything, but I will want to talk about my Gamecocks a little bit. Um, you know, just the opinions about, you know, being Texas a, ba- a bad uh, Texas A&M team. Um, and then they got ranked and then falling to Missouri. It seems like, you know, Beamer knows what he's doing, but he's struggling with the offense, the offense at South Carolina, you know, just – from the outside looking in, you know, what do you what do you see from that? Do you, do you think he needs to um, – is it going to be one of these type of deals where he has to find a good OC for him to be a good coach and get, get to get where he, you know, wants to be? Or do you, do you think that maybe he needs to somehow figure out how to call the plays? Um, because he is a CEO type and he can, he can recruit and he can uh, be the CEO type like the, you know, over the whole program, and he does good at that. But it seems like he's struggling with the X's and O's. I wanted to get y'all, y'all's take on that. 
you know, just to apologize to keep interrupting with these updates, only because that show is going on. The top four are exactly the same. We've got Georgia number one, Ohio State number two, Michigan three, TCU as number four, and Tennessee just was revealed as number five, sitting just outside. JD, I know you wanted to respond to this. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the big things for Shane Beamer, at least going back to South Carolina, I know that we've got all of our other rankings in. I know Alabama's at eight, Clemson's at nine, both of them moving up one. But uh, more importantly, back to the question about Shane Beamer, uh, when I look at his roster, I think more so than just an offensive coordinator, I think of young coaches who always need some form of a mentor. And I think one thing that's always been at least a challenge for Shane Beamer is he needs his old guy in the room. He needs that guy that he can turn to and go, hey, I've got questions. I don't know what my decision is on this. Can you advise on this? There's not necessarily that guy on his staff right now uh, who has that kind of wisdom, and perhaps it needs to be on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, But I think right now, more than anything else, I mean, once again, South Carolina is bowl eligible again, uh, which is a huge deal for those Gamecocks. And the fact that he's done this in back-to-back years, I think is an incredible baseline. Uh, for what he's doing in that program. And more importantly, I think when you look at the remainder of the schedule and what they've done, yes, they've got Tennessee. Yes, they've got Clemson to end out the year. But you still have to be at least positive when you see some kind of games like, you know, when you can put up 56 against Charlotte, when you can put up 38 against Vanderbilt, when you can put up big points against the teams you're supposed to put the big points up against, that's always going to be something trending in the positive direction. Now, granted, you know, it is an issue that you're only putting up 10 against Mizzou. It is a problem that you're only putting up six against Florida. Uh, But I think this is one of those things where, you know, in just adjusting to the SEC, adjusting to being a head coach, I think it's something that will come in time. And the fact that he's able to do what he has to do against the opponents he should be doing it to should at least be a positive sign. And the fact that you have to argue, you know, does he need a better offensive coordinator to go to the next level? The fact that we're in year two with that with Shane Beamer, I think says a lot to his acumen and where he's going to take that program. Just again, I apologize to uh, butt in. The last two rankings were revealed. It's LSU has gone up to number six and USC has gone up one to number seven. So, uh, Georgia, Ohio State, TCU, Michigan, Tennessee, LSU, and USC round out your top seven. Um, sorry about that. Go, uh, Luke. I know you. I think you wanted to respond. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I just wanted to know if Sirius had any comments. You know, um, just, just off of his opinion about about Shane Beamer. You know, I, maybe he's seen a couple of the games that South Carolina has played. Um, but the the offense is is just not there, man. You know. I don't know. Is it is it gonna be relied on? He has to have an offensive coordinator to be successful, or can he figure out the way that you know Dabo didn't start well at Clemson, um, you know? But he he gave his input there, and uh, he was a CEO type. You know, can you, does it does does Shane Beaver need to find that OC for him to get over just making a bowl win? And and getting a bowls is good. And, and, you know, that's that's great, and we're winning them. But just wanted to get serious comment on, on what he thinks about Shane Beamer in South Carolina, and then I'll hang up and listen. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, I think that J.D. had a good comment with, you know, needing an old head there to, to run stuff by. And we even see it with Sark right now at Texas. You know, he's got uh, Gary Patterson on staff, and 
this past week, you saw multiple times during the game, they were huddled up on the sidelines. Patterson can't talk to the players, but Sark can run anything by him that he needs to and get that veteran experience just right there um, on hand when he needs it. And there's definitely a lot of value there for for early, young coaches who are, are still, you know, getting the feel of things. Um, but even more more veteran coaches who have the the chance to take advantage of that. Um, I'd also say that, you know, he has an offensive coordinator, so it's not like he's trying to call the plays before himself. Like we've seen that before, um, and that a lot of times doesn't work. Um, but uh, yeah, does he need a new offensive coordinator? Is that the problem? Is it that, you know, everybody kind of had high expectations for Spencer Radler and they didn't really materialize, um, kind of seeing why he got bumped down on the depth chart at Oklahoma. If you look at USC's offense this year, um, you know, it's judging guys coming out of high school, especially quarterbacks, you know, they kind of get the world put on their shoulder in, in some ways. And there's a lot of expectations there about what all they can do. And they don't always live up to it. Like it's, it's very much still an art, not a science when it comes to picking up the players that are going to perform well uh, when they get to college. So, I mean, it, it, maybe it's just a personnel issue and it's something that's going to get better next season. Maybe it's a play calling issue. It's, it's kind of hard to say. Um, in my mind, just because you've seen the team kind of be all over the place. Um, and I, the Missouri game, like, I, I don't even know what to think about Missouri this year. They're kind of all over the place themselves, um, depending on who they're playing that week, it seems. So that's kind of – I don't really have a concrete answer for you. <laughs> I'm dancing around a little bit. Um, I'm hoping that, that he can make some changes for next year that are going to get him to that next level. Um, huge, huge accomplishment just taking him back-to-back bowl seasons um, in his first two years. That is huge. But as we've seen before, SEC fan bases, for the most part, my doors excluded, expect more um, than just getting to a bowl game. They want to go and they want to compete for the SEC East. They want to compete for SEC titles. So that's always the hard part is moving past that level of, of consistency and actually getting up to an elite level where you're competing. And that does take time. I mean, just look at Kentucky and Mark Stoops and, and that's something that he's really had to slowly build his way up to South Carolina has got a little bit better support, I think um, for their football program, but it's still very much a work in progress. And what coach Beamer's done so far is impressive. Now we just want to see if he can take it to the next level. And I think one of the other things as well that also really helps is, you know, we've talked about like the personnel with Shane Beamer and, you know, maybe the disappointment of him coming in as this five star originally from Oklahoma transfer in. Maybe he was supposed to be the savior, but you have to be really, really really optimistic about these recruiting classes that he's already pulled in. I mean, last year, top 25 class, he's got a top 15 composite class right now. And you've got guys who are coming in who I would anticipate being immediate impacts. Guys like Dontavious Braswell, uh, guys who, uh, you know, come out of South Lake Carroll, like uh, Landon Sampson, and other guys who are going to be really key skill players that are going to really complement all those different tools that Shane Beamer needs in his offense right now. And then, of course, you get guys 
guys who like Tanner Bailey out of Gordo, uh, Alabama. He's going to be one of those guys who, you know, he can be on campus and provide a lot of great competition uh, to the quarterbacks that are in the room right now. And I think if you continue to look at what Shane Beamer is doing, uh, I think personnel is going to correct itself as he continues to recruit better and better classes to bring them on par with the different teams in the SEC East that they have to play in week in and week out. Yeah, that's that sounds great, guys. I, I appreciate your input. The recruiting has been excellent. You cannot beamer on on getting getting guys that want to play for them. And uh, I appreciate you guys. I'll uh, I'll listen to the rest of the show. Thanks for joining us, Luke. We really appreciate it. And again, if any of you uh, want to join, uh, just hit request. Joe, we'll get to you in just a sec. So you're listening to RCFB Talk One Ten. Again, if you missed the CFP rankings, it's probably been posted everywhere now. But the top seven, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, say the same. Tennessee as well. And then LSU, two losses, has moved up to number six. And USC, uh, the other one, has moved up to number seven, um, followed by Alabama, Clemson, and Utah. But, Joe, what's up? What's going on, boys? Uh Kentucky did their best to not let us see the rankings. Me as a Carolina fan, they could have went to 10 more overtimes and I wouldn't have cared. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk uh, the two lost teams being above Carolina. Don't you think the committee would have wanted to save themselves a little bit from a miracle run from UNC? That It's just going to look bad if they keep winning and they, they don't make the playoff. One lost Power 5 conference title, if they win it, doesn't make the playoff. It just looks bad. JD, your favorite, UNC. I know that you absolutely <laughs> love them and have been able to rank them really easily in your polls the past few weeks. Uh, God, me and JD yeah. like to talk Rutgers and, <laughs> Rutgers and UNC. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. East Coast bias all the way over here. That is all I am known for. Um, for me, I think one of the weird things about Carolina is just trying to figure out what kind of a team they are. They're a team that every single time I look to a ballot and I try to figure out, you know, what exactly do I want to do with them? Where do I want to put them? Every single time it's just been a, well, I guess, when I put them down there. I mean, right now, they are with a one-loss team. <laughs> They've only lost to Notre Dame so far, but some of these wins have just been absolutely baffling wins. I mean, the Appalachian State game, uh, that was so early in the year where they barely pulled that one off. You've got games like against Duke. You've got games everywhere that they have played that you're trying to figure out what is it that they do extremely well. Uh, but every single time, it just keeps going back into the well of they just find ways to win. I think one of the things that certainly has uh, thrown them back a little bit is we haven't seen really a signature win of a really strong beatdown. Uh, I know that we had a good game against Penn, or not Penn, excuse me, against Pitt. But overall, I think there's been a lot of really big nail biters, and it's kind of been similar to what TCU was, at least earlier in the season, when there was a lot of, well, they technically won, but it was in a BS kind of way. There was a little bit of fluky luck. There was a wild comeback. There was errors from the other team. We didn't necessarily see an instance where, you know, TCU goes to Austin and just controls the entire game against a decent Longhorns team. We've yet to see that so far with UNC. And maybe that changes as the season goes on, uh, especially if they play, you know, UNC, if they control them really, really well, if they uh, continue to at least win games and if they win a game, in the ACC championship against Clemson, uh, I think they'll still need a little bit of help 
uh, you know, we're probably going to have to see something where, you know, Ohio State and or Michigan looks really, really bad in the big game. If we've got uh, TCU loses a game somewhere along the way, I think they'll still need a little bit of help. But right now, for UNC, I would just say definitely enjoy the wins as they are coming because uh, as someone who's been trying to watch UNC and figure out what exactly to do with them, I still have not been able to put my money on anything with them other than they just find ways to win. I think that they consistently play to the level of their competition. For good or, or, or bad, that's that's just the this UNC team this year for whatever reason. And it's kind of infuriating if you're uh, someone who's trying to make a, a poll ranking because, yeah, you don't really get a good barometer on them because they're, you know, they'll play to the level of a G5 team. They'll play to the level of a of another P5 team that looks looks pretty good. And, uh, yeah, they're just whatever, you know, like a chameleon, whatever team they're playing that week, that's kind of – you know, we're playing an offensive team. We're going to be offensive this week. We're playing a defensive team. We're we're not going to score that much. So it's it makes them tough if you try to do a weekly poll ranking. Yeah, like it's a thing of they are nine and one. Five of their wins have been three points or less. Like if I think that's the biggest issue with UNC not being up higher, at least with TCU, you have instances where they've won by more than one score. They've won by more than a field goal. When you start looking at all of their power five competition, they've won two games by more than one score. uh, And that's against a very hapless Virginia tech team. That's against a Pittsburgh team. That's kind of had the wheel starting to fall off uh, starting midway in the season. And then they've got the blowout against an FCS and Florida A&M. But outside of that, you don't have a single win that's above one score. And I think that's always been the thing that's hurt them of, hey, you know what? They keep winning, but do they actually keep dominating or do they at least just find a way to get to the fourth quarter and survive? Joe, I know you wanted to follow up here. Thank you. I, I You asked what they do elite. I think they score elite. And what I mean, I'd much rather eke out wins than Penn State. Who their claim to fame is a, a, a blowout win versus Auburn. Oregon, we saw we saw lose last week. NC State beat Wake Forest, and they skyrocketed up the rankings. So I just I don't see it. And I do agree. If UNC did win out and they didn't make the playoff, and they played Tennessee in the Orange Bowl, they'd probably lose by seventeen points. But it, you just think the committee would want to save themselves? I don't, yeah. Well, you say save themselves, but I mean, let's realistically look at what we could be facing here. Um, if we kind of go chalk, right? So uh, TCU wins out. The Pac-12. Georgia, the Pac-12 Georgia wins. Give, give me a second here, Joe. Come on. Let me let me lay out the scenario first. Georgia wins out. They're locked lock-in. Uh, Ohio State or Michigan, whoever wins that, they went out. That's your second spot. TCU wins out. That's your third. Your fourth spot, you're looking at uh, one loss, UNC or Clemson out of the ACC. A one-loss USC out of the Pac-12. I mean, somebody's going to get left behind no matter what. So I don't know if there's really a great argument for the committee, like, covering their bases. Because, you know, in terms of, like, a one-loss conference champion, because most likely there's going to be two Power Five one-loss conference champions, possibly more. Um, Things could get crazy in the last couple weeks of the season. So I don't know if it's so much them covering their their bases on that side and you have to remember that if they do 
if UNC does win out and they beat Clemson, then that's a top 10 win, CFP win there during championship week, which is going to bolster their argument. But still, it'd be a tight race in that situation for that last spot between multiple one-loss teams um, if that were to happen. I think the really crazy one would be if LSU beats Georgia. So then you've got one loss Georgia, one loss Tennessee, one loss USC, one loss uh, ACC champ, and potentially one loss Big Ten runner-up kind of kind of team from the East. And then it's just to you know, throw your hands up in, in the air and say, I don't know. Um, that's just kind of how I see it, Joe. Joe, I know you wanted to follow up there. Nope, all good. I mean, I'm I'm prepared for what's going to happen. Hope I, <laughs> and like I said, if UNC does win out and they win the conference, that's the best year they've had since Mac Brown left in his last year. So I'm not going to sit here and cry if they ended up going to the Orange Bowl with one loss in an ACC championship. Absolutely. I think it's going to be really interesting to see. Drake May for Heisman. Well, thanks again, Joe. It was great hearing from you. And I just wanted to remind all of you, if you'd like to join us, feel free to hit request. We'd love to hear your thoughts on college football as well as these new rankings. Speaking of JD Sirius, what do you guys think of how these rankings are looking now? Are you pleased with the latest updates? I mean, I would think so. I think right now I don't have any qualms in the top four. We continue to, you know, not see a whole lot of movement at the very top end. Uh, and I don't really see any reason to change that, at least until somebody loses. Now, once somebody between Ohio State and Michigan loses when that game gets played during championship weekend, uh, I think it'll be very curious to see, you know, do they fall enough below a Tennessee? Do they uh, continue to be right outside the top four? How does that exactly look like? I think that's going to be the more interesting part for me. Uh, I think the other thing that's also going to be intriguing is at least looking at these rankings. I know that we've already kind of touched on the ACC. They kind of seem to be out all the way on the outskirts with Clemson and UNC. I'm curious to see if the committee gives them any kind of consideration. Uh, if they end up uh, winning and uh, one of them wins out all the way, uh, how much of that becomes, you know, let's say North Carolina becomes a top 10 team by the time we get to championship weekend. Does that eventually push them up to be a number four team over, say, a one-loss Tennessee? I don't think that does at this moment. But at the same time, I don't think that necessarily does for the Pac-12 either. They're right down to USC for right now. Uh, and that's pretty much the only chance that they have at a playoff. And I don't think USC has played convincing enough of football at this point and you know maybe they blow out ucla but where does the narrative become oh usc played so good versus well this is the pac-12 cannibalizing itself once again there's no reason to advance them above a tennessee uh, i'm really going to be curious to see how that plays out and then ultimately uh you know the uh, doomsday situation as cirrus kind of mentioned earlier is what happens if you know, LSU does beat Georgia in the championship game. How do they end up dealing with a two-loss SEC champion? You know, I just wanted to say, you know, don't underestimate how much old media really loves to watch USC and Notre Dame play. So if USC beats number 16, Notre, UCLA, and then moves into the next week and beats Notre Dame, don't be surprised if the uh, – it's like Texas, you know, and the nostalgia factor that sometimes people say gets them ranked higher than maybe they should be at being the season – don't be shocked, you know, if Bino Cook were still around, you know, he'd be all over that game. But um, <laughs> that, that was just my thought. I'm not saying I'm thrilled with that, but, you know, it, it, sometimes that happens. I'm not sure, if, though, if it would still be enough. 
Hey, Nick. Oh, go ahead, Sirius. Oh, yeah. I was just going to add on. I mean, I think JD hit the nail on the head that really the rankings as they are shouldn't shift too much until the end of the regular season because we have some big difference maker games that are going to come out during rivalry week. And on top of that, um, I'll go ahead and I'll say if LSU wins the SEC championship as a two loss team, they are in the playoff. They will have by far the best win of the season by beating Georgia. I mean, it's, it's not even a question at that point in my mind, there's no way you leave them out, even if they have two losses. Um, because with that extra game and that extra weight on their schedule, I don't see the argument for anybody else pushing them out. Um, you know, they may get in as a three seed, but I think they'd have to be top three at that point behind potentially an undefeated TCU and an undefeated Big Ten champ. Um, but they just had too much strength of schedule going, even with the loss of Florida State and, and the conference loss. Um now, if they picked up another loss between now and then, then things could get crazy. But, yeah, I think that's pretty safe. Uh, just how I see it right now. We'll see how everything else shakes out, you know, between now and then. But right now, yeah, I think the rank- rankings are fine. What's going on, Nate? We'd love to hear from you. Oh, Mike Monster. Has it hit? Not sure. Yeah, Mike Monster hit. Oh, there we go. <laughs> you think with uh, two years of... COVID and Zoom now, I would I would know better, but... Um, oh, at this okay. point, we can just blame Twitter. Who knows? The person who <laughs> operates that even function has probably been fired at this point, so who knows? Right. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, um, you know, I joined late, and I don't know if you guys have, have discussed this already, but I'm a, I'm a TCU grad, Homer, uh, obviously having a good time this year. Funny that every week it's a little more nerve-wracking uh, with so much more on the line, but with that bias said, you know, I think we have this inclination as TCU fans too to feel like the world's out to get us. Go back to 2014. That's all you need to know. But Max Duggan is a stud. I mean, he's he's got 25 TDs. That's I think 10th in the country. Two interceptions this year. He's he's gone through so much. He's leading a 10 and 0 team. And no one, none of the talking heads are even throwing him in the Heisman conversation that I've really seen. And is that just bias against TCU? Is it that he's just not that impressive and, and I'm just a homer here? Um, like, what, what does he have to do? And, and is there any chance he could against Baylor or Big 12 championship get in that conversation at all? All right, so first and foremost, you are in good company. Welcome to the TCU hype train. Uh, I, too, am a graduate of TCU, so I'm delight, delighted with the Sunny Dyke season and the first year of, you know, post-Gary Patterson, not just thriving, but incredibly thriving. I'm incredibly delighted to see it. Now, that being said, I think the biggest thing for Max Duggan, and one of the reasons he's not thrown up there with, say, a C.J. Stroud or a Hendon Hooker or something else like that, is I think his stats aren't bad. Uh, Like, they're fairly comparable to some other folks, maybe not as flashy as, you know, the interception rates or anything else like that. But I think the biggest issue for Max Duggan is his football has largely been played on building a system around him as opposed to building a big moment. Like if you remember back in 2014 when Trayvon Boykin, the quarterback at TCU, was a legitimate Heisman candidate, 
uh, one of the big things that we remember is the flip against Kansas State. Him being able to do a little shimmy and then get a high five from Dana Holgerson in the West Virginia game. He made a lot of plays happen. We really haven't seen that with Max Duggan. We've seen a lot of stuff where early in the game, it starts off with a lot of short passes, a lot of screen passes, slowly and slowly until you can get an option like a Quentin Johnson going deep and he's available 40 yards down the field to catch anything that's around him. I think one of the big things that Max Duggan would need to do, and maybe this comes in the Baylor game, maybe this comes in the Big 12 championship game, he really needs a moment where it's very clear that he puts the team on his back and he pulls off an incredible play that makes everybody start to talk about it. Because right now, his biggest issue, at least in that Heisman conversation, is he's yet to really have that kind of moment where it was a very clear, wow, Max Duggan was the one who put the team on his shoulders. He did this specific play that we are all remembering and talking about. And I think if he gets one of those, especially during a championship weekend, that is going to be something that gets him into New York. You know, with JD's expertise on this, I'm always hesitant to add much more. I think he always puts... Uh, <laughs> puts it succinctly better than anyone I know because I mean you were just in you know, you were in uh, Austin for the game this past weekend. Yes, yes, I was. Uh, and again, I think that was another opportunity where you know maybe Max Duggan goes out and he lights up everything at Texas. He becomes a Heisman favorite. But you got to remember what happened in this game. Doesn't clear 200 yards of passing. Uh, Texas goes from being absolutely demolished to suddenly back in it in the fourth when Max Duggan butchers a handoff. And then suddenly it's a very long scoop and score for Texas to make it a one-score game. I think that's kind of the reason why we haven't seen Max Duggan uh, necessarily be in there. Like if he comes into Austin and he throws for, you know, 400 yards, several touchdowns, he does something crazy on the field. I think people talk about him in a Heisman regard, but the fact of the matter is, you know, he didn't look superb in that game. He looked more kind of like that AJ McCarron game manager type, as opposed to, you know, the playmaker type, like a Trayvon Boykin or Joe Burrow or any of these quarterbacks who always were in New York and in that consideration for the Heisman. So Nate, what are your thoughts right now? I mean, heading into (laughs) this week. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for sharing that. Um, and, and funny enough, I, I was there um, during the the Boykin year. Uh, the I mean, that was that was my senior year actually. So the the hard feelings maybe hit a little more home. Um, I always thought he got fourth in voting that year. I thought he should have been there because um, he he did to your point have those moments. The the Holgerson, of course, and he and Doxon were so electric. And and yeah, it, that was missing and doing it in, on in prime time in Austin would have been the moment, of course. But it feels like they're the the pool of Heisman candidates being talked about this year. There isn't some clear cut front runner runner who you just look back on some one play like you had with with Manziel, for example, uh, against Bama um, that year. And, and so it just feels a little bit like there's just still this bias, even Boykin not making it that year, that Max has to do something so unbelievable. But if he has to do something so memorable and unbelievable, that means TCU's in a, in a close game probably. Um, so my thoughts going into this weekend are that I'm... Oh, looks like we, got, I, I we lost it there for a second. No, yeah. Your sorry, thoughts heading bad. into the weekend. That's where. No, no, no worries. We yeah, got you. Yeah, right no, I think I think it's a thoughts. trap game. Of course, I think that Baylor would love nothing more than to to ruin our season. Um, 
but I, but I also think there's something about this Frogs team and the the mojo they have with Sonny that I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I'm actually I'm going to be in Dallas visiting my brother when we're thinking about going down until they said it was an 11 a.m. game to Waco. But I, I mean, it's all going to come down to the Big 12 championship, no matter what, and, and how they they play in that game. Um, probably against K-State, I'm thinking. Um, I might be wrong on that, but I don't know. I, I think it, it's it's hard to – there just feels like there's such a clear – people are going to doubt TCU as the small, small kid until they are forced to put us in contention. Um, but those are – yeah, that, that's my thought. Um, and I would love to see – I mean, I, I think – Miller should be in some of the conversations as one of the top running backs in the league too. And I really believe that a lot of the top media just don't really watch the games as closely as they would with the blue bloods. And so our guys just don't quite get that attention. Um, but man, they, they are so fun to watch. There's so much talent. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to probably take the the spread on, on the frogs this weekend, even though I probably regret it, but yeah, that's how I'm feeling. <clears throat> yeah. It's definitely going to be a huge game for TCU. Uh, you always have to remember Baylor's greatest season ever was last year. They won the big 12. They won their first ever new year six bowl. And I guarantee you the first thing that they will hear about from TCU fans is yeah, you had a great year but you still lost to us. I can guarantee that the players who are still there under Dave Aranda would love nothing more than to see TCU have a fantastic season, but they still have the stain of they lost the rivalry game to Baylor during that season. <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, uh, only a two-point favorite in Waco. I think that's going to be a fantastic game. I'm very confident that Dave Aranda is going to have a great defensive scheme against Sonny Dykes' offense. And we kind of get, you know, uh, the greatest of the Baylor TCU games were the Art Bryles versus Gary Patterson's when we had this high-flying, smash-mouth spread offense against the, against the 4 5 uh, defense. And now we kind of get to have that kind of offense versus defense rivalry again. But not only is it flipped, but there's actually more likable people on both sidelines as we head into this game. I think it's going to be an incredible rivalry game. And I think this is going to be probably the biggest opportunity for TCU to trip. I'm certainly going to be rooting for them, uh, but it's going to be a very difficult game in a hostile environment. And I cannot wait to watch it. Yeah, I will say there's kind of a, uh, <laughs> as much as I hated Bryles and, you know, I can mince my words on my opinions on him and that Baylor program, but uh, when he left, it almost took away a little bit from the rivalry, right? You just couldn't quite hate him as much. Uh, and they probably feel the same way about Gary a little bit, not being there anymore. Um, but that, that hatred's still there. Right? It'll be a rowdy place for sure even though they're their disappointment this season. So fingers crossed. Uh, again, like I said, cautiously optimistic, huge implications, biggest game. I mean, I don't know, maybe in TCU football history besides the Rose Bowl. Yeah, could be. What do you think, J.D.? Um, I wouldn't say quite yet. I would definitely say that this is the most consequential uh, TCU-Baylor game in at least seven years, if not – 
uh, eight since that 2014 game. Uh, but I would definitely think that, you know, if you get this one, I don't necessarily see Iowa State having the uh, gas in the tank in order to stop TCU from going undefeated into the Big 12 title game if TCU gets past Baylor. Uh, but overall, again, this is going to be one of those games where you have a very heated rival who very much wants revenge from last season and very much wants to be the team that ruins the season. This is going to be a huge game for TCU. And I think, you know, especially coming off of a big emotional game in Texas, I think this is definitely going to be an opportunity for them to trip up. But I feel confident in Sonny Dykes getting everybody prepared because I will uh, close at least with this on TCU. So I covered a lot of games during the Gary Patterson era, uh, was inside the program a lot. And one of the things that I think is distinctly different uh, when I go around the TCU program today, uh, when I got to uh, go cover the TCU Texas Tech game, it was apparent on how relaxed everybody was. It was clear that the players were having fun. It was clear that the staffers did not have any fear in them. And it was very clear that Sonny Dykes was just so calm so cool, so collected. Uh, and to see all of that happen behind the scenes, I think is a really strong cultural reset that TCU needed. He's got the talent. He's got the schematics with Garrett Riley, who I'm confident is going to start getting some coaching calls uh, to try to be poached away. Uh, you've got an incredible defense right now by Joe Gillespie, uh, who's done an excellent job of implementing that 3-3-5. You've got guys like Kendra Miller. You've got guys like Max Duggan. You've got guys like Johnny Hodges, who have stepped in as a tremendous uh, defensive linebacker uh, coming into the TCU uh, Horned Frogs roster. And I think this is a team that has something special about it, like you mentioned before. I love the attitude that they've got. And certainly as they go against this rivalry game, that's going to be one of the most fascinating games for me, uh, at least on a national scale. Yeah, 100%. Well, I, I appreciate you guys. I know I know there's a lot of TCU talk, so I'll, I'll spare everyone from too much more. Huh. But um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, when when I was in school, I actually spent a year. I tutored some some athletes, and uh, the football players, <laughs> they, they weren't having fun out there at practice. Let's just say that. Um, I think that was part of Gary's culture, and what made him so great for so long was don't take any BS. And um, you know, it, it worked for a long time. This team's having a good time. They're having fun, and that relaxed vibe is doing wonders for them and letting the talent really come out um, playing a little bit with, with a little less fear, if you will, of getting chewed out. Um, so it, it'll be really interesting to see. I'm excited about it. Go frogs and appreciate you guys. You guys are, are such a fun account to follow and, and create so much good conversation in the college football world. So thank you guys. We appreciate that. Thanks so much, Nate. You know, we've had also, um, and again, if you want to hit request to talk, you always can, but we've had some other interesting replies. Jordan Lyles um, added, you know, Alabama still has a playoff shot, but it's still very unlikely. And he replied again to clarify, very, should have been capitalized, all caps, very unlikely shot. You know, although there are some questions, and I mean, we have Devin Bunch who said, uh, are there scenarios for Tennessee getting in? We also had... Rocky Chop, who tried to speak earlier, I think he had some connection issues. We tried to let him up twice, and then uh, I think Twitter spit him back out, which is unfortunate. But he was also bringing up Tennessee's, you know, victory over LSU, especially as we've know, as we've mentioned, 
Um, uh, ranks five, six, seven right now are Tennessee, LSU, and USC. So what considerations do you guys have right now when we're looking at the SEC picture and the potential for teams or two teams? I mean, three teams is kind of the joke, although I think that would turn into anarchy really quick. But what do you guys think of the scenario of two teams? Because we know, obviously, Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other. We'll see how far one or the other might drop, and then there would be a championship game. Um, uh, But what do you both think on this particular topic of the SEC? I think that, you know, Alabama has a shot at making the playoffs in the same way that, you know, like I have a shot at making the playoffs. (laughs) It's, It's about as likely at this point, you know, pretty much every other available team except for three has to, for some reason, not be eligible anymore. Um, I mean, we're talking stuff like Tennessee loses to Vanderbilt and LSU loses another game and then beats Georgia. Just really wild stuff, I think, in order to clear a path for for um, a two-loss Bama to make it. Um, the Tennessee win over LSU, that'll help Tennessee's resume if LSU wins out over Georgia, but I think it actually hurts Tennessee's chances um, if that happens because LSU, I think, is is the first SEC team in if they win. If they lose, they're out completely. There is no – it's a win and you're in, lose and you're out kind of situation in my mind for them. Um, for Tennessee, then – yeah, the win over LSU looks great. Although, if anybody's watched LSU, they look like a lot better team now than they did at the beginning of the season. Um, I mean, they, they lost to Florida State in the first first game. So, I think that they've improved a lot since then. Um, I don't know that it's really going to help Tennessee's chances any if LSU were to beat Georgia because – then you have Georgia and Tennessee trying to get into the playoffs as one loss, non-SEC champion teams, um, which is rough. Uh, really muddies the waters on that side. I think that their best shot is Georgia destroys LSU, and Georgia goes in as the one seed, and then they're fighting for three or four, depending on how things shake out. And then uh, that's kind of where I'm seeing that. I think that the the three SEC team dream is pretty much dead at this point unless things get really weird again and we're talking only one good champion out of the Big Ten and Big 12 combined, and the runners-up look bad, the Pac-12 champion looks bad. Um, yeah, I kind of that, that's kind of how I'm seeing it in my head when I'm trying to play out some of these scenarios uh, right now. I think Tennessee's still got a good chance at making the playoff, but I really do think that their best shot is Georgia dominating against LSU, making them look bad. Um, and then kind of riding that wave in as being the the number four seed, pretty much, um, unless the committee tries to get fancy and avoid a rematch. So, Rocky Chop, you were able to make it up. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I just summarized your tweet about that game. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, thanks for thanks for letting me hop in here. Uh, yeah, I, and and that was kind of uh, the LSU Tennessee talk was kind of where I wanted to head because I, you know as as a Tennessee fan the the scenarios I, I like I like where we sit I like being in the five spot knowing 
Ohio State and Michigan have to play each other, you know, next weekend. So, uh, yeah, I feel good there. The only thing that bothers me is LSU sitting behind them at six, getting to play in the SEC championship game. And, uh, you know, make no bones about it. I I, I think Georgia is the far superior team. But, you know, I'm I'm running through some scenarios where, I mean, obviously we've seen, you know, big upsets in a – in, in conference championship games in the past, a Tennessee fan 2001 obviously uh, jumps out in my mind uh, first and foremost. Uh, but, uh, you know, Georgia, obviously their number one goal is to win a national championship, not a conference championship. So, you know, how, how motivated are they going to be for that SEC championship game? You know, if they got some nagging injuries with some guys, you know, do they consider maybe, you know, like, not playing some guys, making sure that they're 100% full go whenever the playoffs start. You know, those those are some of the scenarios. And so, you know, a, a lot of those scenarios would, would, in a way, cheapen LSU's conference championship victory if it was to come to that. But regardless of how it plays out in Atlanta between those two, I, I still come back to not only would Tennessee have a better record than LSU, but they met on the field not only on the field, but on the field in Baton Rouge, Tennessee beat them by 27 points. You know, a talking point I've heard for the last two weeks is Georgia, you know, just thoroughly dominated Tennessee. Well, as much as and, – and they did. I mean, Georgia dominated that game from start to finish. But as much as they dominated Tennessee, Tennessee dominated LSU even to a higher degree than that. And – I I don't, I don't know how you could just dismiss that. And I, I thought Reese Davis did a, did a good job of pointing that out, you know, on the, on the rankings reveal show tonight. And uh, that's just, that's just one of the things, you know, I, you know, is it probably going to come to fruition? Probably not. I, you know, I still have a hard time seeing LSU, um, you know, beating Georgia, but in one of those, we've seen crazier things happen, obviously. And uh, you know, it's just kind of worrisome to me. Uh, that, uh, you know, anything else, you know, as, as good as TCU has looked, I, you know, I still between the Baylor game this week and, you know, don't sleep on it. Iowa state. I mean, they, they made, <laughs> they made a living off of winning the kind of game that, uh, Iowa state TCU game is going to be next week. So, and then Hell, well, shoot, back conference. in uh, 2014, TCU beat them in the final game of the season by, uh, 52 points. And, you know, they dropped from three to six regardless. So who knows sure. if history repeats itself again? That's right. And, 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 you know, talking about the, the conference championship dynamic, you know, they've already set the, – the playoff committee has already set that precedent in 2016 maybe with the two lost Penn State Big Ten championship with Ohio State still getting in. You know, that's another dynamic that's at play there too. So, I mean, you know, a lot of things to consider, and obviously we still got a lot of football left to play. But uh, those are just some scenarios that uh, we could see playing out. And I, I, I think they kind of – they kind of made a point. I feel like the playoff committee is kind of trying to tell us in, without actually telling us that they don't really value the Pac-12 strength as much uh, by keeping USC at seven. I thought if, if, you know, if they moved USC to six this week above LSU, I thought that might, you know, indicate that maybe they were a little bit more um, 
appreciative of, 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 of the strength of that conference. But I think or, Oregon was definitely the Pac-12's best shot, and them getting beat by Washington, uh, I think, severely hampers their chances of, of getting anybody in. And, of course, you know, obviously USC has two pretty high-profile games next two weeks on top of a conference championship game. So, naturally, things can change depending on if, you know, if not only they can win but but look dominant doing it. So, you know, that, that could certainly happen. But uh, USC, is from, from watching the few times I have got to watch them this year, I've not really seen a whole lot from them that makes me think that not only will they win their next three games but, but really look good doing it. So, to uh, to kind of work through some of the points you brought up, uh, I don't think that Georgia's going to rest players going into the conference championship game because that is their best shot at getting hopefully a better seed and fully confirming their ticket to the playoffs. And, you know, leaving it up for grabs of, ah, we can take a loss in a conference championship game, that's super, super risky in a year like this year. And to add on to it, They've got Georgia Tech the week before. If they want to rest players, they can do it then. You know, it's they're they're going to have a, a break in between. Um, so if that's an issue, I would imagine Georgia Tech at home without a, a head coach, they should be able to slip past them pretty easy and pull their starters like at halftime at the at the worst if they absolutely absolutely wanted to. Um, hey, look, they, they've been dominant enough. You know, we saw it kind of what happened with Tennessee where they played, played ball control and they didn't really have to push their offense super, super hard um, to put those skilled players in risky situations, which helps. So uh, they have the ability to, to slow down, take their time and uh, cut down on potential injuries by doing it that way, just in, in how they, they call plays. Um, I still think that if LSU wins the SEC this year that they're in, um, Penn State, you know, back in 16, they won a close over Wisconsin. Wisconsin was number six at the time. Um, Penn State was number seven. But I think that that was a little bit different. I don't think that being able to beat a Georgia team that has been this dominant all season long, unless something changes between now and then, I don't think it's got it's quite the same level as what we saw in 2016 with Penn State versus Wisconsin. Um, even with Penn State already having the win over Ohio State and things like that. Okay, um, I gotta I, interrupt. Like, if you guys have not been watching the action, Bowling Green just I they just won in the final seconds. I seriously cannot believe what I just watched. Oh my gosh, there's gonna be reaction shots from this one in the snow. Bowling Green was up 28 to zero. Toledo came back to make it 35-40, pardon me, 35-34, and with nine seconds left, Bowling Green just stunned that crowd. Oh, my goodness, on ESPNU. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Sirius, but that I, like, I've been watching this in the background, and it, it's a stunner. Oh, my goodness. They're, oh, there's reaction shots for days. I'm impressed at all these fans that are there on a Tuesday night. But um, <laughs> sorry about that. I just, you know, we are all college football, and, we started with the rankings show, and here we are at the end of Bowling Green to Toledo. But that was, oh, my goodness. Wow. Um, so, Sirius, is your phone still alive? Sorry about that. Hey, and I know this ain't a, a gambling uh, pod, but, uh, you know, uh, these matching games, the road teams have been covering at a phenomenal clip so far on these weeknight matching uh, matchups. So, that's just a, a – 
a gambling trend that might might be worth uh, monitoring moving forward. And I believe uh, Bowling Green was a, a 16, 17-point underdog tonight. So it's it's something worth checking out. Anyway, uh, yeah, before, before I was power here, I'd say that um, the really tricky thing is that if you want to leave LSU out, you don't have a good argument for putting Georgia in because they just lost to LSU. And then that also raises the question of what do you do with Tennessee if you don't take either of the two teams that were in the conference championship game when they have a combined, you know, three losses between them. Um, I think that that is a nightmare situation for Tennessee because it makes the math really, really tight on who gets in because somebody from the SEC needs to go to the, to the playoffs and you want it to be as simple of a decision as possible. So I think it works out best if it's Georgia conference champion and then Tennessee can make their make their claim for that second SEC spot instead of trying to jockey between all three of them with, you know, with LSU thrown into it. But that's just kind of how I'm seeing it right now. Absolutely. Well, Rocky Chop, we appreciate you joining us. It was good to, to get some of that conversation in there. You know, it looks like we've been going for about an hour and with – Sirius's phone dying and my own voice going because of fighting this flu. I think we'll go ahead and slowly wrap this up. I just wanted to, to thank all of you for joining us. If you've got something like, I don't know, YouTube, TV, or whatever, you know, you can catch that ending of that Bowling Green Toledo game. That was worth seeing. I'm going to just tell you that right now. I wasn't expecting it. I'm glad some of the other folks gave us a ping. Hey, check this out. Anywho, we talked a bit about the, uh, you know, the, we were here for the college football rankings. We heard from you. We talked a lot about a lot of teams. We always enjoy hearing from you. It's Tuesday night. We'll be back here again next Tuesday night. And we'll also work on getting some guests. It's been a little lackluster because I got stuck doing a fall wedding um, this weekend. Not my own. So, I mean, what's the point, right? Uh, anywho, on behalf of myself, Bob Akairi, on behalf of J.D. Moore and Sirius, thank you all for joining us. This was our CFB Talk 110. Hope you have a great night. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen and sleep. <laughs>